Among the active organizations working on behalf of older adults in Colorado for the last 30 years has been the Colorado Gerontological Society. Their presence online is at SeniorAnswers.org. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. In addition to tracking and, when necessary, presenting at hearings on legislation at the Capitol, the CGS has a full menu of involvement supporting older adults. This ranges from active participation with affordable housing coalitions to assisting older adults to obtain hearing aids. The organization is led by Executive Director Ms. Eileen Doherty. Uh, You've been running or participating in the uh, Denver Housing Summit Coalition and the Affordable Housing Coalition. Those are obviously two different coalitions, but they both focus on housing. Um, One works from Denver and one maybe outside of Denver. Can you update us on what their activities have been? So the Denver Housing Group is specifically set up to come together and, and we're looking for more residents of the city and county of Denver to participate in this group. Our goal in that group is really to meet with city policymakers, whether that is at the department level or whether that is at the city council level, to try to increase, if you will, the attention and the policies that of housing toward seniors with a really big focus on low-income seniors and low-income being you don't pay more than 30% of your income in housing costs, whether that's rent or ownership or taxes or whatever, and that we really focus on those people who make – so we got our group of old age pensioners who make $841 a month. Yeah. And then the other group that we're really focusing on is those older adults, especially single individuals who live solely on a social security check. Right. Where the social security check, the average social security check in Colorado is $1,456. So if that's your only source of income, you're pretty low income. Yeah. And the average uh, rent for a one-bedroom in Denver as of about a week ago was $1,700 a month. Wow. So we're really trying to influence the city that we have to make some – we have to make some hard decisions and we have to get – a large amount of monies into building and or preserving housing for this really low-income group of people. Right. So that's what the Denver group is working on. We have a grant for that. We have about a year and a half yet to go on it. The city has a prioritization scale that they're using. And so, for example, they specifically left seniors. You don't get any points on this prioritization for being 60 or 65 and over. No points for that. No, no points for that. They think that 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 you will overweight, if you will, by putting the number of years that you've lived in Denver, which may or may not work. We're going to try to do some test cases on that over the next couple of days. Well, that's going to be interesting because a lot of people who live in Aurora and Lakewood say they live in Denver. 
Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be no better where you go. Oh, where am I from? Denver, where do you live? Adams County, you know? Yeah, right. But at the end of the day, you know, that's not as important in my mind as making sure that, and I had to focus this, so that's why we focused on Denver. Yeah. Um, At the end of the day, we need to really, um, really focus on how much of our um, in monthly income do we spend on housing and how poor are we in the process and how do we make sure that policymakers are actually paying attention to what we see as our issues mm-hmm. and some of them do overlap with other vulnerable groups and some of them it doesn't really I mean it's not as much of an issue Flipping then to the affordable housing group, primarily um, what we have done in that group is last fall, we followed all of the state or the state housing, the state work on housing in with the ARPA money and the subtask forces and provided lots of testimony and those kinds of things. We didn't get real far because, again, they don't really want to carve out older adults. Um, They did, in one of their recommendations, put that they had a priority for aging in place, so we saw that as a small win. However, when bills started to come out of the legislature, none of those specifically are targeted to older adults. So, Ah. again, it's a constant push, if you will, to try to make sure that a portion of the resources that we have available in the state are actually there for older adults, and especially to try to advocate for those who are really low income. Housing affordability, that thing is like a slippery slope trying to define what it is, because I think in Denver, some of the developers have to look at people who's it's below fifty thousand dollars or something like that, and I thought fifty thousand dollars that's not low income that's for sure <laughs> you know that's the challenge I mean that is absolutely the challenge is at fifty thousand dollars that means you're making four thousand dollars a month in income yeah and I have to tell you if my husband and I were living only on social security we would be below that. What's challenging about that is that the, apparently, this comes from the Colorado Fiscal Institute, the median income for people 65 and over in Colorado is like $4,600 a month. And if they're using the median, that means 50% of the people make more than that and 50% of the people make less than that. And I guess I don't come in contact very often with that group that makes more than that, and I don't even come in contact very often with that group that makes more than thirty five hundred or four thousand a month. Sure. You know the people that we interact with are tend to be a much lower income group of people, yeah, yeah, it sure is. You've also been doing a lot of work or at least having a lot of discussions around multi-generational homes? What we're trying to do is that multi-generational housing is one of the answers that is being openly discussed. Had been in some families just 
how you lived, where multiple generations lived together. Yes, a lot of Hispanic um, families, for example. Well, and a lot of white families. And, yeah. you know, how many people had grandma living with them when they were kids? Uh-huh. A yeah. lot of people, you're in my age. Grandma lived with them. They just yeah. did. Yeah, just did. Exactly. And then kind of this, you know, your parents, my parents kind of got away from that um, as we went through the 60s and the 70s. And, you uh-huh. know, this 60, 70 hippie generation said, I'm not having grandma live with me. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. And, or my mom live with me. And so we basically started moving toward having, you know, mom live in retirement communities, independently, all of those kinds of things. So what we've got now is a large number of people who retired, who are 80 and 90 years old, who thought that if they had $1,015, $1,800 a month in income, they would be set for life. And as we just said, that hardly pays the rent if you don't own your home. If you own your home, you're looking at 2500 3000 could be even more, in property taxes. Yeah. And so that notion that we would be set for life if we had that amount of income was has been quickly dispelled. So what we're seeing is a lot of people starting to live together yeah. as a result of that. And so what we've been studying for the last three or four months is what what things are what things impact multi-generational housing. For example, if you go to apply for food stamps, one of the questions on food stamps is who else eats with you? Another okay. question on the food stamp application is how many people are in your household? Yeah. Well, what is a household? Is a household just grandma? Is a household husband and wife who she lives with? Is a household adult child and, you know, their children? What constitutes this household? And so in the area of benefits, a lot of people are losing benefits because they answer the question literally and we don't have a lot of clarity, if you will, of who is in a household. So that's one problem we've been taking a look at. So the Another, idea is that more people who live in the household can contribute more to food, so therefore we don't have to give you as much money for food stamps or something like that? No, if you give me, if the state gives me food stamps, I'm supposed to be the only person eating off of those food stamps. Yeah. And okay. I, can't let, I can't let my kids eat. I can't buy food that my kids might eat if I'm the one on food stamps. But, you know, and again, if you're in a multi-generational household, oftentimes people do sit down to eat together at yeah. the table. I mean, and, that's... And grandma eats Fruit Loops. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, that's one thing. A second thing that we've looked at is some of the issues around zoning and those kinds of things because some zoning requirements are you know have like unrelated individuals living together and how many related individuals can live together so different municipalities around the state have different rules yeah we haven't really found much that's a problem on zoning 
if it's grandma or, you know, or if it's my mom. Where it becomes a problem is if I am living with, I and four or five other people or two or three people are like sharing a house with somebody else who is not related. That's where we start to have issues, if you will. Well, that was one of the things that came out of the American Society on Aging National Conference again is a bigger emphasis on home sharing and house sharing. Well, and one or two is good. Five or six doesn't work so good. Okay. (laughs) It's not a barracks. It's still a house. Right. One or two is, you know, that usually is under the zoning rules, and they tend to be no, you know, no one is really concerned too much about it. Yeah, because some of the people talking about aging solo, because we have a high number of older adult uh, singles here, and one way to uh, to keep their costs under control is home sharing. Um, right. But like you said, a couple, okay, but more than that, not so much. Right. Another thing we looked a little bit at was things like when you file your your W-4, if you're, if you're the working adult or adults in this household, and the question on like the W-4 is, you know, how many dependents do you have? And if you're filing a 1040, for your income taxes, who gets how many 1040s do you file for how many households? Yeah. You know. So again, it's not real clear because we don't necessarily have good definitions for who is in a household. If you look up like the IRS definition of a household, it's pretty vague. Yeah. Um as is as a matter of fact, I don't think we even found a definition in the Medicaid rules. The assumption was that we would know yeah. who was in a household. So that's some of the stuff that we've been studying. Ms. Eileen Doherty, the executive director of the Colorado Gerontological Society. Many thanks to her for updating us on the recently concluded Colorado legislative session and on the range of work the CGS is engaged on behalf of older adults in the state. Their annual event, Salute to Seniors, is set for August. Do keep an eye out for the Save the Date for that info. You can contact them online at SeniorAnswers.org. Their telephone contact is 303-333-3482. That's 303-333-3482 or in Spanish at 855-880-4777. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Get yourself vaccinated for your health and your family's safety. And we do thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.